0: Welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World, the podcast that aims to demystify blockchain and exponential technologies with real-world examples for beginners and experts alike. Because blockchain won't save the world, we will. Hello everybody and welcome back. Today I'm joined by the husband and wife team behind the Mobility Open Blockchain Initiative, Moby. And we'll be talking about the importance of blockchain technology for smart cities and mobility. Tram and Chris, welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for having us.
0: I'm really glad you guys can be here. And before we get started on the serious questions, I want to ask, because this is the first ever husband and wife team I've had on the podcast. What's it like to be a couple working in disruptive technology together?
1: Um, It depends on which day you're asking. (laughs) At our best, we aspire to be the Bill Gates and Melinda Gates of smart mobility. And uh, I think at our worst, we hope we don't become a statistic like Brad and Angelina Jolie (laughs) of crypto. And anyone who is married or has been married knows that it's not easy to work with your spouse and commute with them, uh, share the same office. (laughs) <laughs> Chris?
2: every every moment is golden that's my story and i'm sticking to it <laughs>
0: <laughs> very good very good and I, I like that you've at least got some archetypes of are we being brangelina today or are we being bill and melinda <laughs> how did you start off on your journey together how did you decide that you were going to start something like moby
2: so i i began my career a long time ago as a monetary economist, and one of the first things you learn in monetary economics is that private monies don't work. You need to have a government to manage monetary policy and keep things stable. So when I first heard about uh, Bitcoin eight years ago or so, I immediately dismissed it, told people who are asking my advice or asking about investments, don't go near it with a 10-foot pole, fire whatever advisor is is pushing it. And then I came across a couple of things that I thought were particularly interesting. One was an an op-ed by Mark Andreessen of A16Z, inventor of the Netscape browser, where I think the the, the headline, the article was, why you should care about Bitcoin. He he called it the most important and disruptive technology since the, the PC and the internet. And I thought, OK, well, if somebody like that is is interested, uh, there must be more to this. And I began to dig a little bit. And of course, uh, like everybody who digs a little bit, pretty soon you're all the way down the rabbit hole. And I began to realize that this was a, a not only an important technology, but essentially it made uh, potentially all assets into something that's extremely useful that heretofore only money uh, had as a characteristic. And that was the ability to be a, a bearer instrument. And if not only money could be a bearer instrument, you know, all kinds of electronic money, private monies, crypto, but also assets like cars, infrastructure, services, all of these things could be done in peer-to-peer transactions. Because like currency uh, like cash uh, they all became sort of bearer transactions and i began doing uh, a bunch of pocs at that time i was the cfo of toyota's largest subsidiary and uh, also in charge of innovation and began doing a bunch of pocs in blockchain ride share on a, on, a, on a blockchain car share usage based insurance uh, data marketplaces these kinds of things and we showed them off at consensus Uh, back in, I think it was 2017. And immediately thereafter, I began hearing from peers in other auto companies and other tech companies uh, saying, so we did that same POC, or we were interested in doing that same POC. And the story was always kind of the same. It was always, oh, we found it was fairly easy to put a a car on a blockchain or pretty easy to do car share on a blockchain, uh, but now what do we do? And we all realized about the same time that the the hard problem wasn't sticking an asset on a blockchain. The hard problem was getting to scale. We realized that blockchain is not really about technology. It's really about community. And we started meeting initially under the auspices of MIT Media Lab and later in larger and larger groups, often in Silicon Valley, until we had probably more than, than 50 people in the room. And it became apparent that we needed to do something a little bit more formal. And so I retired from Toyota and Tram and a couple of other people, uh, launched Mobi to create a formal structure around what we were trying to do.
0: Got you. And I really want to double click on this segue, because that's the story according to Chris. And obviously you saw the industry side momentum building. Tram, at what point was the pitch saying, I've got this vision, I'm going to retire, and I'm going to do a thing in blockchain? How did that conversation go?
1: <laughs> so actually, it's we start talking about blockchain for a long time. And my background is not in, in technology at all. Early on, uh, I was a chemist. Uh, this is way back when uh, quantum mechanics was for geeky and nerdy, nerdy chemists and not quantum computing. And uh, It's
2: gotten sexier.
1: <laughs> and then I went into art conservation and art preservation, uh, heritage preservation. And for two decades or so, I was working for the Getty here in Los Angeles and also uh, projects with UNESCO around the world. And most of my projects tend to be in the Middle East and Eastern Europe. Uh, And some South America. And and many of my friends were joking, asking me if I was part of the CIA instead of, of art conservation. So when we first talked about blockchain, Chris was very excited about it. I wasn't sure if I understood it well. But the more we talk about it and the more I read into it, the more excited I got. And the first excitement I got about it actually was reading about IBM's use case with Walmart. Then also thinking about how it could really help intellectual property uh, since I work in the arts and artists and a content producer in general. So when I I left the Getty, that was the first consortium that I thought about starting. And and that was Dream, which is distributed registry for the entertainment arts and media. And um, that was a year before Chris decided to quit Toyota And uh, when he wanted to do it, I already did that, so I can't say no. (laughs) And Moby came along. And of of course, as you know, even though it's a nonprofit, we we do function and operate like a startup. So pretty much all hands on deck. You do many, many different roles. And quickly realized even before he launched that I need to also start with him and help him. Uh, There was no website, like literally three days before the announcement in Dubai in May of 2018, there was still no website. So I had to build a website and that's how we started.
0: As you're telling that story, you can already start seeing some of the threads pull together of the realizations that you had even before founding Mobi. You started talking about being inspired by supply chain, identity projects, payments, intellectual property, all of which now form some of the working groups or some of the capabilities that Moby's looking at today?
2: Absolutely. All of the, the POCs that people were working on four years ago are still things that form the core use cases that Moby is building its standards and operating modules around. I, I kind of brought you up to speed on the founding of Mobi. I didn't tell you what we've done since. Mobi operates through working groups. We have six or seven working groups right now. Uh, each one is built around a use case or a business opportunity or some sort of foundational standards that are needed. The evolution has been from working groups, now that that's been going for a couple of years, to what can we do with those standards? What sort of network can we build on top? What does the data layer look like on top of that that everybody in the community can take advantage of? And then the third layer on top of that would be the applications. So I think the, the evolution of Mobi has been working groups and standards, shared network, then distributed applications on top.
0: And as that's evolved, obviously, it started with some of the familiar automotive use cases that you've described. But over time, that slightly pivoted more towards mobility and smart cities outside of automotive, or rather adjacent to automotive. So tell me more about how the domain of smart cities and mobility has started to become part of your priorities alongside some of the more traditional automotive use cases.
2: Right. So there was a realization fairly early on that the biggest and most impactful use case was around uh, what you could do with connected vehicles. The realization that uh, machine-to-machine transactions would probably come first. Autonomous transactions would come before full autonomy of driving, uh, that it would potentially be more impactful, this idea of machine-to-machine communication and payments. So, what would they be paying for? while well, they'd be participating in an ecosystem where they're paying for roads, paying for services, paying for data. And that led to the development of the second layer that I was talking about the open mobility network. Then, also, uh, what do you do? What do you build on top of that? Build a mobility platform. That is Satopia. Tram's going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but that is the connection of vehicles with infrastructure, with cities to make mobility. Greener, safer, and solve a lot of the very intractable problems of urban living and urban mobility.
0: Got you. And I was at Moco in Berlin, what feels like a decade ago, but it was only a few short months back. And the Zootopia app was showcased then. Cham, do you want to take us back through the vision and the progress that you've made on Zootopia to date?
1: Yes, I think uniquely in smart mobility and smart city is that I do think blockchain is needed, and I think it's needed for for reason mainly. Blockchain enables digital twins which permits secure identity and digital economics for physical things. It permits micropayments, which reduce costs relating to bank systems, which requires minimum transaction sizes. Third is trust and shared data, reduces the cost of accounting and reconciliation between parties. And fourth is data privacy and protection, which is a top concern for pretty much every mobility user that you survey out there and also cities and government and third-party providers. So the idea for Zootopia came after listening to many podcasts on smart cities. And the most successful initiatives, in my opinion, were the ones that gamified and incentivized the experiences for the users and allowing them to complete challenges, participate in groups, and earn points tied to the initiatives. And the initiative could be something like energy use, or increase health benefits. And in in doing these things, they help the consumers make better choices for themselves and and contributing towards a specific policy goals that benefit the public and the city. When you look at these pilots, they use current technology. They are successful on a small scale uh, with a limited time span. And they all have a centralized manager uh, database per se. So essentially, all the, the ecosystem trusts the city uh, to carry this out. But when these pilots uh, need to scale, it becomes impossible as the number of untrusted parties increase from a few to hundreds or to thousands or to hundreds of thousands. And the complexity increases exponentially and the state can be much higher and more prone to fraud. One of the biggest Challenges for smart city initiatives, when we we look at them, based on the studies, is how they move their citizens around more efficiently, cut down commute time, while making their citizens happier and their cities greener, improving their air quality, and at the same time, the quality of life for them. And the recent studies that we came across, most cities have not solved these problems. They're very far from it. And the top three factors that cause people from using new mobility that's being introduced by smart city initiatives are the ease of the use. There's not an easy way to accept it. There's no continuous payments for all legs of the trip. And they don't quite understand the options and the incentives in the program. So a lot of it is not enough marketing, I think. So um, Cytopia was conceived with the goal for people to wake up one day and realize that there are better ways to get around. Ways that are simpler, cheaper, more sustainable, appealing, and more fun than the ones they had yesterday. And, and to be able to achieve this, uh, we have to bridge cities and government with the mobility industry, which is essentially uh, Mobi. Local businesses in the city and the consumer and we need to create a platform that enable first and foremost data privacy. As mentioned earlier, this is a top concern for all the stakeholders um, in the ecosystem. And the platform also needs to provide services, visibility, interoperability, and optimization across the whole mobility network of nodes. Services so to connect and work together for the benefit of the users, uh, the third-party provider and the cities. All working together to achieve the Smart City Goals and Initiative. And I think this is a plug here, but I think the critical and essential piece here is that the Zootopia platform that you saw us introduce in, in Berlin is a multi, is essentially a multimodal application, but to my knowledge, is the first one that was built on blockchain with Open API. The other multimodal apps out there, and there are so many when I start looking into it are meant to scrape and monetize data from the users and the third-party providers. And due to this reason, I don't think there's any way that Uber can convince Lyft to come onto their platform and vice versa. And for a true multimodal to work, I think it needs to be neutral and privacy-preserving. And therefore, anybody in the ecosystem can come to play. It allows developers from cities, from government, to register on the platform and develop on the platform and create an applet and continue to be able to work with your customer and retain your customers. And all the loyalty points, let's say from BMW or Daimler or Honda and Toyota, all those can remain on their own platform. And Zootopia is just a vehicle, a marketplace for them all to do that. If I open the app and if I want to, let's say, book a bus trip or a taxi or an Uber trip, my data is between myself and the, the third-party provider, and nobody else can have access to that. So essentially, trust and data privacy has an exponential economic gains by cutting operational accounting reconciliation and maintenance costs for not just us, but but governments and cities as
0: well. Sounds like a fantastic proposition and one that's much needed. Obviously, you've now extended from working with some of the largest automotives in the world to now working with small businesses and the public sector at the same time, and also trying to take this app into production and out into the world. What have been some of the key learnings from a blockchain perspective or from an ecosystem's perspective as you've been developing and rolling out Zootopia? The
2: the key learning is really a confirmation of what I mentioned earlier, when we started Mobi, it's about the community, not the technology. And that's still true uh, whether you're talking about the standards development with Mobi or whether you're talking about the rollout of, of an app for solving urban problems. I think the cities and governments are perhaps more used to being approached by companies with solutions And they have the companies uh, sort of fund the trials and pilots and tests of the solution. Now, companies have been willing to do that because companies, when they sell a technology, a system to a city, can often count on a a long commercial lifetime uh, where they can make that investment back. It's a little different in the blockchain world. What uh, we're proposing is something that is more of a peer-to-peer transaction. There's no lock-in. And so I think the, the cities and governments perhaps need to become a little bit more comfortable about their role in promoting early stage technology and funding pilots that solve their problems. Because I'm not sure that since there isn't the lock-in, there isn't the, uh, the guarantee of a commercial return or a commercial lifetime, there may not be as much of an opportunity to build for the cities. I think the, the the other key learning is just how big the opportunity is here. There is twenty six trillion dollars of road infrastructure globally. Very little of that are monetized today. So this is an enormous asset that belongs to cities and governments that they invest in, but the capital is stranded. They can't charge marginal cost, and so it's subject to all sorts of problems that are economists term tragedy of the commons and finally the burden of infrastructure funding often falls on those who can least afford it or at least maybe don't use it and so there's an allocation issue and the real learning i think with satopia has been just how powerful this technology blockchain distributed ledger in mobility in the creating the ability to use micropayments for funding city infrastructure or charging marginal cost for things that you couldn't charge marginal cost for before, to do things like congestion pricing, road usage, real marginal cost, road usage pricing, carbon pricing, pollution pricing, and in the process a huge opportunity to solve some of these very intractable
0: urban problems. That's really interesting and obviously you can see the opportunity. You started to work on developing the technology what are some of the blockers or the barriers, or what are some of the capabilities we need to really scale this? Because we talked about micropayments, you're talking to some extent about established infrastructure or inbuilt infrastructure in vehicles, or possibly on devices. What else do we need to scale this to achieve that 26 trillion opportunity?
1: Um, the answer to that is simple, I think. When I think when blockchain becomes a tool and not a technology, for example, the internet Ninety-nine point nine percent of the users, I don't think, care or know how it works. They just know it works. My eighty-nine-year-old neighbor is very savvy on Facebook, more savvy than me or anybody I know. Uh, so, <laughs> and I'm I'm pretty sure he doesn't know how Facebook works. I don't either, but he knows he can get on it and keep in touch with his family and grandchildren. So, I think the killer application for blockchain. And and actually, I don't think it's going to be blockchain by itself, but it will be in a combination of AI, IoT, and other rapidly maturing technologies like 5G that can permit anything, a person, a vehicle, a piece of infrastructure to have an identity, be intelligent, and participate in an autonomous economic transaction with other things.
2: In fact, we, we hope that Zootopia is that type of app. Right, Cytopia uh, is not primarily a blockchain app, it's a urban mobility app, it's an infrastructure monetization app that uses blockchain as one of the key technologies. Why does it use blockchain? Not because we think blockchain is cool and we ought to use blockchain, but because we think that the tokens, blockchains, micropayments are the enabling technology that allow cities to do things that can't be done with existing technology, at least not efficiently.
1: We've been talking a lot to cities and states and government, and every city has its own unique pain points that they want to solve. But when it comes to solution, I think it can come down to just a few things that can be used and applied to solve these solutions. For example, the city of West Hollywood, which is a small city here in Los Angeles, is right in the middle of many other cities. If you want to go from, let's say, Beverly Hills to Culver City, you have to pass through West Hollywood. If you want to go from downtown Los Angeles to Venice Beach, you have to pass through West Hollywood. And it has many businesses um, that requires a lot of deliveries also during the day. And the citizen within the city is frustrated because their homeowner tax is being used to maintain the roads. But all these pass-through traffic, do not have to pay anything toward maintaining the roads, And they are hoping to be able to geofence the city somehow and ask delivery trucks and Ubers and Lyft vehicles to pay some kind of maintenance cost for them. Another use case that we found interesting is, um, speaking of delivery trucks, in New York City, it was interesting to find out that the top four delivery companies break in about more than half of the parking tickets in New York City, it goes upward to 30 plus million dollars. And when you talk to cities, it's frustrating for them. And it is really costly to enforce the law and to to collect the money from the tickets. And most of the time they don't get all the money back. And then the, the delivery companies themselves, the frustrating part for them is one, it takes a lot of time to find parking. Two, paying for these tickets is not tax deductible because essentially, vehicles were doing an illegal act by parking illegally. So we've been talking with them about possibly piloting with Zootopia and be able to route out a uh, delivery route for delivery trucks and reserve ahead of time parking spots. And the drivers can drive directly in front of the building. And if they have four packages versus 40 packages, determines how much time they need at parking spot and to get out, deliver, and then get on their way to the next delivery location. That would save them a lot of time and a lot of headache uh, from worrying about getting a
0: parking ticket.
2: This is another example of monetizing infrastructure that you can do with the Satopia app.
0: That's fascinating use cases, and clearly you guys have gone a level down because what we're really trying to do is we're trying to digitize or create digital twins of the infrastructure we have, trying to enhance sustainability, trying to increase flow, trying to take away friction, like parking tickets, right? None of the delivery drivers really want parking tickets. And the city probably don't want to fine you either. They just want to make it easier for people to do their jobs and the work that they do. So it's really interesting that you've gone down to that level. As you were talking about it, though, and some of the points you made before, Chris, around micropayments and tokens, are you seeing that cryptocurrencies or creating some sort of token infrastructure is going to be a critical enabler for some of these smart cities' use cases? We had David Sunstabo from IOTA, who was talking to us before about smart cities' applications. Are these some of the adjacencies that you see being required to scale?
2: We think absolutely that tokens will be part of the solution, particularly for things. And anytime we're talking about monetizing things, tokens are an efficient solution if you're talking about decentralized applications and peer-to-peer transactions. Because as you increase the number of players, as you increase the, the scope and the size of the ecosystem, the trust costs increase exponentially. Trust doesn't scale. Middlemen that permeate our economic life banks, escrow companies, lawyers, accountants, reconcilers, they provide an enormously valuable service, but it's not one that scales easily. It doesn't scale to machine-to-machine transactions easily. And therefore, we think tokens and smart contracts, and, uh, and particularly digital twins, verifiable IDs, standard ways of originating trusted information oracles, are all key components and part of the scaling solution.
0: And obviously, there's a still a journey to go with some of this technology in terms of getting enough of the installed base for digital twins within vehicles. We've got some progress made on wallets and on mobile devices. But again, 5G infrastructure to be able to keep connectivity high, to be able to pinpoint vehicles in dense urban areas, it's still ongoing. But I guess you've still got to lay the groundwork before those technologies arrive. Otherwise, you're going to wait two or three years to even start the conversation.
2: An awful lot can be done today with existing technology, and it will only get better as the connections get faster, the location services get more accurate, and the costs of the transactions fall.
0: And I wonder, you're looking specifically in and around the adjacencies with mobility. Are there other smart cities use cases that you look at within what's being enabled by blockchain or distributed ledgers or tokens that you think, wow, that really works nicely, or I wish those things would scale faster than we're seeing them now? Are there other areas within the smart cities ecosystem that you look at and think that's got a bright future?
2: Uh, it's hard to think of something that the technology doesn't apply to in an urban environment. I can just highlight a, a few. I mean, electric charging vehicles, distributed charging, being able to run distributed charging stations and have uh, IDs for the stations and IDs for the cars and uh, tokenized payments. Before the electricity, having smart contracts that use the car's batteries for storage during peak hours when electricity, when the marginal cost of electricity is very expensive. And of course, the marginal cost of power varies a lot during the day. So that's uh, that whole electric ecosystem is one huge urban opportunity. The ability to provide city services, right? if you can charge for things, you can see usage patterns. For example, where do you want to build new bridges, access ramps, roads? Where do you want to include new bike lanes? Where do you need new express lanes? These are things that you can see when you have the real-time data that comes along with the marginal cost pricing. That's all an important use case. The ability to use incentives to modify behavior, we haven't talked much about that. Uh, One way to deal with congestion is not to build new roads, uh, but to charge a slightly higher price to incentivize people who value that time slot or that use slightly less to find an alternative. There's lots of people who are driving at rush hour uh, when they don't really need to and would be perfectly happy to go at a different time or take a different route if it just costs a little bit more money rather than time.
1: Yeah, based in in the study in Los Angeles, according to the city, 70% of the traffic during commute time is not from people who have to go to and from work is them out running errands or
2: having to go somewhere that don't need to be in the car. So, incentivizing greener forms of transportation, healthier forms of transportation, working with health insurance companies or health providers as part of large health plans, uh, providing incentives that way. And here's one that I I haven't heard talked about, but I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, We all know that drones are coming, drone delivery is coming, perhaps drone taxis. We're going to need to Find a way to allocate airspace. Airspace right now is not a particularly scarce resource, but as soon as drones become common, it will be. Road congestion, all the technology that we're talking about for Zootopia for road congestion applies to airspace as well. So uh, there's whole other ecosystems that are on the horizon that this technology and other technologies as they come along open up.
0: I'm with you. And on that drone use case, actually, I think I recall seeing something from the US Department of Transport looking into a particular initiative or some research that they were doing around exactly that. So you're on the money 100%. And once you've identified the need to share data, to look at real-time information, to modify pricing, to create incentive structures, you start realizing that the infrastructure layer behind that, or the enabling technology behind that, blockchain seems to fit. It's not the only technology, but to be able to do that in a private and an automated way, and to be able to enable scalability, it starts feeling like the right sort of story. So where do we go from here? Chris, Tram, what's next for Mobi and what's next for Zootopia? Clearly you guys have been doing a lot of work, you've been talking to a lot of people, you've been developing a lot of the use cases. What's next on the horizon for you?
2: I think continuing to build out the Zootopia uh, the app, our working groups are coming up with more and more standards for things as they come up with standards creating the, uh, the data layer uh, to build on those standards, and that's the OMN, the Open Mobility Network, uh, more pilots for cities. We actually have a signed agreement with a small nation. It hasn't been announced yet to pilot all of this technology, the Mobi and Sitopia technology, in government vehicles and for road usage congestion and to test it out, and then to use the the entire country and the private vehicles in the country as a sandbox to, tech, to test the technology. And I think that we'll be piloting with additional cities, uh, additional infrastructure owners. There'll be more announcements of additional big companies, prominent companies joining Moby because I think what we're doing with Mobi, with the Open Mobility Network and Cytopia is resonating. And uh, we're still growing, still have a very bright future and probably best days, I think, ahead of us.
1: This summer, we are hoping that we'll have Mobi offices also in Europe and in Asia. That's what we're looking to do. So we're excited about that.
0: And I know we can't talk more about that one pilot, but I'm fascinated to hear when it is announced, because I'm sure that's going to be a standout project that's going to show everybody else what's possible. We already know it's technically feasible. Oftentimes, it's really just about the implementation. And also great to hear that you guys are expanding how people can get to you across the other geographies because regardless blockchain is still a people business it still requires engagement with stakeholders developing standards is still challenging and requires a lot of orchestration so thanks to you guys for doing the work finally before we close the show how can people find out more about moby how can guys reach out to you and what else have you got going on in your life
1: well for moby very easy our website and our social media channels has all the info one of the most important things, we are calling it the new economy of movement, our vision on the new economy of movement. You can also find out information, our work with cities and government, our six working groups, what use cases are they looking into and why blockchain matters to those use cases. Our uh, community innovation lecture series uh, has opened down to the public. The first talk was last month. Uh, this month, we, we are scheduled to have one on the July 8th and one on July 15th. So tune in for those. Our Mobi Colloquiums, MOKO, as we call them, uh, you were a panelist in Berlin. Thank you again. This year, uh, I think, <laughs> Anthony, that was the last one we snuck in before COVID shut everything down. <laughs> And uh, I think the biggest event we have is MOCO Los Angeles. That was supposed to be May, but we are delaying it probably till next year. Uh, so all the past lectures from, from MOCOs can be also viewed on our YouTube channel.
2: As to what else is going on in our life, we're totally consumed with this.
1: So
2: <laughs> <laughs> other than this, we're pretty boring. <laughs>
0: Well, it sounds like you've got plenty to be getting on with anyway. And I'll make sure that we put all of the links of the details of the MoCos, of the past content and the seminars into the links with the podcast so everybody can find out what you've been up to. Chris, Tram, always a pleasure to hear what you're doing. Have a great rest of your week and stay safe out there.
1: Thank you. Thank you. You too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. All opinions here expressed are those of myself and my guests, If you're looking for more, you can follow me on LinkedIn for more blockchain-related content. And until next time, stay safe out there.